Good morning, everybody. Dr. Hope Seidel. I have not done a lot of parenting in the pandemic podcasts. We've been a little busy, but <laughs> it's hard to believe it's been almost a whole year since I've spoken to my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Carrie Dittner from Peak City Psychology. And we are starting another series on um, a number of topics, starting today with kind of uh, globally about feelings in our kids, but mostly talking a lot about some of the anxious feelings and anxiety that we're seeing in our children as they begin school. And Carrie and I are going to have a discussion, I hope, that sort of helps you navigate this time um, with a little bit more intention. So anyway, I'm so glad to see you, Carrie. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Such important work we need to do for these parents in our community, seeing so much of these questions and feelings coming into the office. So thank you for the opportunity. I'm so glad. So I think maybe one thing we should start with, if you could, you know, I, a lot of parents come into the office telling me that their kids um, have anxiety mm -hmm. and maybe I'm a little kitschy about that word, but I always pause and say, could you just explain to me, are they having anxious feelings or do they have anxiety? And I wonder if you could explain just kind of like what your thoughts are about the difference of those two things. And, and if that is a you know, a good way to say it. And when I'm seeing parents, in my yeah, own. yeah, I, I see it all the time. Right. And I think there is a differentiation between anxious feelings, like a sad feeling or a mad feeling or a happy feeling or joy or excited versus having clinical anxiety. Right. Because that suggests impairment and severity. And so I think it's really important. What I do in my office is a lot of education about what anxiety is and putting it in this role of such a helpful emotion to us, right? Like it has been adaptive for us. It is understanding that your body is giving you a message that something just doesn't feel right. And that maybe that should be explored rather than staying away from it, right? So I think that anxiety as normal is really an important message to give to kids, that it is your body's natural ability to kind of be vigilant, be like, hey, what's going on here, right? We, we need to kind of explore this. I'm having some feelings in my body and my body is sending me a message. And what is that? Um, we too often and assign it into the bad category, like don't have it, right? <laughs> this is not a good thing, but actually it can be very adaptive. I find two things that happen too, that's super helpful. One is, is that it often reminds parents who may have their own anxious feelings or true diagnosis of anxiety that it needs to be stopped. Like I see a lot of people yes. saying, I'm anxious, I have anxiety, so I know what this feels like and transferring that ex the exact experience. And I think it's important for parents also to know that your child's anxious experience isn't necessarily the same as yours and giving them this tools, these tools kind of now, um, uh, allows them to avoid some of the discomfort that some people feel or are feeling as adults. And I'm wondering why else do you think that this anxious feelings make parents so like worried and when should they be really worried about it? Yeah, for sure. Like I think a lot of times when a child is feeling anxious, for example, we have 
in this pandemic, some kids haven't been in school in a year and a half, right? They are rightfully anxious, okay? Psychologists are not surprised by this. <laughs> this, you know, even though so many people are desperate to return to normal, we automatically assume that the feeling should be excitement, right? But this is a normal situation in which you should be a little anxious. Wow. So we don't need to be kind of telling our kids like, no, it's fine, it's fine. When, no, I, you know, I haven't done this for a year and a half. This is different and unfamiliar. This is a different situation that I'm going into. This is an unfamiliar situation. And so here's my body signal telling me this. And I think that parents want to sort of shut it down and offer reassurance because they don't want their child feeling any distress. It comes from a genuine, warm place of parenting, right? But I often tell parents, and they're surprised by this, I don't reassure your child. If your child is feeling over here, I'm anxious, and you're saying it's okay, that does not match your child. It yeah. does not join your child. So instead, join them. You have some anxious feelings about it. They have some anxious feelings about it. Join in that. Yeah. And we want our kids to trust their own feelings, right? So if they know that they're feeling anxious and you tell them you're not anxious, then they're like, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not anxious. Not sure. And you really, sometimes anxiety and some of these awful feelings are an opportunity for your kids to get closer to themselves, not closer to you, you know, and they don't need to be depending on you all the time for regulating themselves. Moving through it can be a space for their own self-regulation, which is so, so important for them. Yeah. So, so important for them. So I think it's just an automatic response for me. Like, I hear you. Tell me about that. Like, you know, tell me what's going on. And I think that leads to such a much more richer and valuable discussion than yeah. sort of just offering that major, like, it'll be okay, you'll be fine, you know, move along. Um, I want us to kind of sit with it a little bit. We have to sit with that a little bit and understand it and not be afraid of it or, or shut it down. So how do we know when we're supposed to rescue it? And how do we know when it's become too much? Like parents will say, like yeah. when I talk about similar concepts in my office, I can get most parents on board with allowing feelings and using it as an opportunity, but there right. is a point where, and checking in on their own discomfort as opposed to, yes. you yes. know, joining yes. it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But then I often get asked the question, like, well, when do I need to be worried? And what if my kid calls me from school? Like if their stomach hurts, cause they're having some complaints that I can't tell, is it this or that? So how are parents mm-hmm. supposed to know when the right time is to, to fix it or come in or rescue? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. So I think the, the terms that I use in my office are severity and impairment, right? How frequent is this happening? You know, of course, in the first day of school, I imagine um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to get a lot of calls. My child's not going to school. Um, mm-hmm. I understand that. But is that persisting? That's like one example. How long is this persisting? I expect that. I expect them to be just a little uncomfortable. But hopefully, most kids, once they see the familiar surroundings, and they see that, gosh, nothing bad is happening. Um, This worst case scenario that I'm kind of afraid of isn't happening. Hopefully it kind of falls off, right? But if it persists, if we're talking a couple weeks in December, when a child is still, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts, that might be a time for us to kind of intervene a little bit. Um, Whereas they really aren't eating, aren't sleeping, don't Mm -hmm. want to do pleasant activities when there is impairment. So that's my second point, impairment, right? So severity is how long is it persisting? 
-hmm. impairment? Is it interfering with their life um, to a significant degree? And that's the time where we need to kind of seek help. So what might the dialogue look like if your kid's waking up at school and you're, it's time to go and they're like, my tummy hurts. I don't want to go. And as a parent, you're like, pretty sure it's not COVID and you're pretty sure it's <laughs> yes. not, you know, the latest stomach bug going around. Right. Nobody's right. sick and, or, you know, your child well, and that's how they exhibit their anxious feelings at times. Could you give a dialogue that you might share with a parent okay. on how to get them onto the bus or in the car or through school when the goal is we're going to try this and make sure it happens and then decide if it's impairment or happening too long? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think, again, it's important to give that education piece, number one, yes, this is your body telling you, hey, I'm a little unsure, right? And that's okay. It's okay for your body to tell you that. Um, so I do a lot of talk on that physical feeling of your body. I agree with you. It probably is kind of saying a little bit, oh, I'm a little queasy and unsure, but hey, why don't we just move to the table and get some breakfast? So I acknowledge their feelings, okay? Number one, I hear you, I see you, I feel you. Number two, let's just take a step in the next direction, okay? I don't want parents to panic because what happens is as you were talking about, that parental anxiety comes in, oh my gosh, they're not gonna get on the bus and then I'm gonna be late to work and then I'm gonna take time off and I don't yes. know how, and, yes. they, and they start doing all the things, right? And so they start panicking and what they jump to is, but you've gotta go. Yeah. And that is going to put up even more of a red flag in your child. So I want to move slowly, move to the next step. Hey, let's just get some breakfast first, right? And hey, then I'll walk you to the bus stop. We're just gonna take one step at a time, right? And I want you to try because I believe in you. I say that all the time to my kids, myself, and also to the parents mm -hmm. in my office. I believe in you. I yeah. believe that you can do do this. I believe that you have skills. I believe that you have people around you who will help you. I believe that this will turn out okay. So I want to instill confidence. Yeah. And you know, you, your kids can also be, your kids can be afraid and brave. They can, you know, 100% brave is not the absence of being no. fearful. Right. It's not. Right. Yeah. You can have all these feelings and you can still be brave. Right. I, know that about you. I always say, you know, right. your kids, your kids, you know, your, the inner voice of your kids starts with what you believe about them. And this is such a, a wicked opportunity for you to practice that belief, even sometimes as parents, when you don't believe it, right? Because then it yes. becomes your own belief. Our kids are just always looking to us. Even our adolescents who really don't act like they oh. like the wall are always looking for us to think, you know, what do you believe about me? And what do I believe about myself? And these moments are bitty moments of developing resilience for your kids, which all parents say they want in the end. The middle is so messy and uncomfortable, right? It's so uncomfortable. It's so yes. uncomfortable when your kids are sad and miserable, even for us. I mean, I can't yeah. say that we're immune to that. I don't know about you, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, no, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I've been telling a lot of people, um, you know, I think so much of mental illness is, um, is, uh, Okay. I mean, I, I know you are slammed. I mean, we are just in my office on yeah. a daily basis, anxiety or worry or depression is as mm -hmm. common as the common cold, sometimes more so. Um, we all are getting slammed with families who are so uncomfortable with how their kids are feeling right now. And I think that the whole intention more than anything in this conversation is to just validate not only that, of course, of course, everyone's, all of us are. I've had moments yeah. of anxious and sad myself. I think it's been more revealing of what may have always been there as 
parents, our kids may have always had some of these big feelings, but what we do is we're like, let's just go to soccer. Let's do a thousand other things. We need to get your homework done. Getting a good grade is really important. We almost teach our kids kind of to buffer those feelings by doing things. And then their actions are really successful. And then they feel good. It's like a dopamine hit, you know, like when we have a glass of wine. Absolutely. That activation. Yeah. 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 I almost feel like if you could really dig deep in kind of a meta kind of Oprah way, it feels so good to just be left with all your feelings and think, God, this is what I've been avoiding all this time. It's a lot. No wonder I do that. Right. Right. There has been more time to be mindful and noticing and aware of sort of these feelings that have always been there. But we kind of, as a society in general, kind of value that go, go, go and that and just being busy and being involved. Um, And I think that the pandemic has taught us to value a little bit of being still and kind of noticing these things. Um, You know, we don't have to kind of push constantly through things. It's okay to to kind of feel your feelings and then still do it anyway. (laughs) Like, I mean, I just think, yeah, Yeah. we we can notice that and bring awareness to it. So it has been a gift in a way, right? I mean, it's uncomfortable, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's there. We're human. We're not robots. We're human. We have these things for a reason. Yeah. And the other thing I'll offer for all of you is, is that um, what some people are finding is that they don't have a very big vocabulary for feelings besides mad or sad or glad or, you know, just a few. And if you struggle with trying to access some language for your kids, they may really not have a language. Stomach pain tends to be the language that kids have or headache or, you know, physical signs. And if you notice notice that there's not a language, like, I don't know, like sometimes they could put a list of feelings on their refrigerator and just practice some new ones, some words. It sounds kind of elementary, but I think a lot of parents don't have a big feeling vocabulary. I agree with you. I agree with you. I do. Uh, you hit the nail on the head because so much of what I do in my office is just that ocean labeling. Mm. You know, we we have just a hundred words for different things, right? I mean, not just happy. We're elated. We're excited. We're silly. We're all of these things. And that's just one example. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely, the first step in regulation is noticing what's going on with me. And that requires a label. And yeah. Once we label it, we can talk about it and that leads to regulation. So, so many people are like, how do we, how do we regulate this emotion? Well, let's take a step back. Let's figure out exactly what this emotion is. What it is. Yeah. Yeah. And in my office, they'll come in with stomach pain and I'll say like, when your kid has stomach pain and you're fairly certain it's nervous, instead of bringing her to me, which is totally fine, which validates it in a way that says, oh gosh, there's a problem, which can add to it. It's just to pause for a moment and go, do you think this might be the feeling of nervous in your belly? That's where it feels, that's where it feels in my belly. I feel kind of when I'm going to give a talk or I'm going to talk to someone on the, on the video, I sometimes feel it in my tummy. Could that be what it is? Just to see if maybe they might, yeah, I am kind of nervous. It can right. be both of course, but you know, just another right. way to think about it from yeah. uh, and that, and that nervous isn't bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, that's the other point that I make. It's like, we don't have columns of feelings. This isn't positive and negative feelings. They're feelings. Um, So I I just don't want to create shame for some of those feelings. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of shame, let's switch gears a minute and talk a little bit about, so um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, children with each other in school. Okay. We're going to talk about two topics, but the first topic I want to just bring up is masking in school and how to help our kids. Mm. I'm reading a bunch of articles. I don't know if you've been seeing this in the psychology and psychiatric literature at all about bullying with masks, judging who wear masks, who don't wear masks. 
um, parents who are coming home and having a narrative about the appropriateness of masks or not and how their children are receiving that. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective? I don't have a really good perspective on that. I just know that it's happening. I just wonder what your perspective yeah. is. On that. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, it, it's a really heavy conversation for like a lot of families, obviously. And I think that, you know, number one, I, I treat sort of mass bullying as any other bullying, right? What I would advise the child to do is number one, we're not going to give any time or attention to bullying in any way, shape or form, right? So we're, we're not going to engage, okay? We're not going to engage with any form of bullying. So for the child, just keep doing, do you, because what you're doing for you is important. So we're not going to give any time or attention to those who are making fun, disagreeing, whatever. However, again, just as we were talking about with anxiety, if it gets to the point of impairment, that's a different story. Then we need to seek a trusted adult. We need to kind of have the child feel safe enough to say, hey, this is happening, right? So yeah. give them a tool, tell yeah. them they can get through it, believe in you, believe in you and what you're doing is okay. And number two, if it's bad, get a trusted adult. But I think on a broader level as parents, we need to kind of have an opportunity to talk about as we would with any other bullying or disability or whatever, there has to be some kindness. We don't know what's going on with that person. Mm -hmm. That person doesn't know what's going on with you, right? We just have to assume noble intentions. No one knows what's going on, but right. everyone is allowed to sort of have their own feelings yeah. and you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And some kids may or may not want to be wearing masks and because of their parents' illness, their own parents' anxiety, the rules their parents have given them, you know, there's a lot of energy around that. And although I would be lying if I didn't say that I think masking is important, okay. the opposite could still be true where children are choosing not to mask or they um, have an option not to mask or our older kids have been vaccinated or for whatever reason, they're for whatever reason, because they can, and they're getting bullied the other way. And neither is right. Even though our opinions may have valid scientific evidence or valid. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. For, kindness goes Sam, on I mean, I'll just, yeah, I'll just throw one out there. I mean, those kids with autism with sensory issues, they yeah. really cannot. Right. And so we don't know if that's one of the reasons. Um, and so we have to, I always talk about like noble intentions, right? We have to assume the best. We have to assume that something else is going on with that person. Yeah. Um, and, and let's not think the worst. Um, and, but obviously this is, there's going to be a lot of differences going back to school. <laughs> um, a lot of, a lot of heavy, heavy feelings about this. And I really just think that arming our kids with number one, what you're doing is good for you, right? Yeah. right? And that's important for our family. And that's important for our community. And this is in line with our beliefs. And this yeah. is in line, you know, uh, let's give them that confidence that what you're doing and others may not be okay. Yeah. Others may not be doing that. And we don't have control over that. And we are not going to assume the worst about that person. Yeah. And we're just going to do us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that's great advice for any single faith, anything, you know what I mean? It's just so, yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's honestly one of, this is a, probably not a scientific reason, but one of the reasons I am so in favor of masking for everyone is, is that I feel like it eliminates that depending on the age group your kid is in that level of stress and difference that is so relevant. But what about the parents who are coming to you and saying like, I really think that everybody wearing a mask is inhibiting their ability to really create connection. 
Is there truth to that in this? I mean, listen, we can't do anything about this. So we have to just sort of develop resilience within the parameters we're allowed. And there are probably gifts in every way. But I am wondering, like, um, if there is, is there, is there any truth to the fact that kids can't connect when they're all in the same masks? Can they still, if they're physically together in school, have a beneficial experience? Like, developmentally, does it just depend on the age of the kid? That's kind of a loaded question I didn't tell you about, but I just am curious. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we certainly don't have any, you know, research articles yet. I mean, there hasn't really been that longitudinal kind of study that has been done, like, you know, we, we just haven't been in it long enough, right? And hopefully we won't be. Um, you know, I can see early on um, with babies, for example, I think there has been some preliminary research, you know, for example, um, not being able to kind of see those facial express expressions. Yeah. But I, I think other than that population of that like zero to two population that, mm. you know, we have under, you know, gotten that experience mm. um, as children, as teens and as adults. Um, so I'm not seeing that and connection can come so many different ways in terms of touch and experiences and not just that facial expression. So really the only population that I would see that is, is, is the babies really. Um, right. and, and hopefully they're just at, at home with their families and, and unmasked and <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. I think that every time I lean over a four month old in the office, I'm like, I just want to show you my beautiful smile. Exactly. Yes. They're searching I mean, yeah, for it too. You know, you can see their eyes. They're just searching. They're you know? searching for it. And you know, it's that social smile and it's just the, yeah. all of that stuff that kind of comes in, in that pre-verbal developmental phase. Right. And so but then afterward, connection comes in such a variety of ways. So really the only population I'd be concerned about is our littles. I wouldn't be concerned about our elementary school kids and our teens and, and our adults. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, it, you know, it, that's another good example in the way parents bring anxiety into their own child's experience, how we bring a, a preconceived idea that the way that we were doing connection before was better because we could see each other, right? Like I would even offer, if you wanted to even be curious about the way your kids could connect, that maybe it might really force them to connect in a way that was broader than their phone, that was broader than any other connection we've had before. And it might provide an opportunity that we can't yet see. And so just- right considering that perspective as opposed to all that's lost, like people do when we talk about losing a year of school, you know, um, and, and how, how behind everybody's going to be. That's just not a thing. Um, you know, it's not a thing. It, it's, it's not a it's, thing. It's, it's not a thing. We were all in the same boat. I mean, we were all in the same it's boat. Not. Behind. You know, for me too, it's like, I think about that. My, you know, my middle son is a rising senior right now. I had him at home for an extra year. He was home. Yeah as yeah. a junior, he would have been home. No. So I'm really trying to kind of, you know, I too can kind of go down that path. Like, oh my gosh, he missed prom and he didn't get to go off campus for lunch. And I can, I can lament in some of those things, but mm. then I'm like, my gosh, I had lunch with him. Yeah. Right. Like that was pretty awesome. It was so awesome. I think always turning the table on what, what did I gain? What, you know, we, we are so programmed to go what we lost. Our, our human brain looks for the, the negative, right? We're drawn to that. Right. Um, but let's program ourselves to kind of look at what went right. What did we get? What was the gift? Yeah. I'm surprised when I start my visit saying what was amazing about this year. So many parents are doing a really decent job sometimes excellent job of saying it was the most amazing year. My yeah. introverted kids have had just such an amazing year because they really aren't distracted by the stress of other kids. Yes. Um, some of my attention kids are doing way better at home. Of course, some are doing way worse. I don't want to minimize that, but right. I just have been so intrigued by a new environment, creating so much opportunity for certain populations of kids. 
And speaking of that, like, um, I really think that the kid that left school last March before is such a different kid, especially depending on their age when they come back into school. Talk to me a little bit about preparing parents and kids for navigating relationships, um, not only navigating school, but also like friendships and whatnot. And if you're seeing any of that yet and what you expect to see and how we can prepare them for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's just like they are go they're going to be differences, right? This is a completely different classroom that we're turning to. There's completely different kids. Some kids may not go back. Some kids may still be virtual. So it's still going to be different. Um, and I feel like a little bit of a broken record because I'm like talking about arming our kids with confidence and, and belief in their self. If 2020 thought us anything, it was adapting to change. Yeah. You did it. You yeah. adapted. And I don't know what third grade or fourth grade is looking going to like, I don't know if Susie's still going to be in your class. I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's okay to admit. I don't know. Again, avoiding you'll be fine. Like yeah. I really want to avoid that. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I believe in you and look at all the change that you adapted to over the past year, right? You yeah. can do this. And so I think it's important to acknowledge we're not sure what it's going to look like, right? We're not mm -hmm. sure what the curriculum is going to look like. We're not sure where the teacher's going to start. We're not sure where all the other kids are, right? Mm -hmm. But I do know we've been through a collective experience mm -hmm. and you are actually going to feel the same thing as all of the people in the room, yes. right? You are not alone in that feeling. No mm -hmm. one knows what's going to happen, right? And so <laughs> we are going to, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's, you know, again, arming our kids with the not you're going to be fine. It's okay. It's just school. Like, yep. I don't know either. I yeah. don't know, but I know that you're going to get through it. And I know that you're not alone. Yeah. I love that. And also just remembering, depending on the grade of your kids, like some kids at the end of seventh grade are going into ninth grade. Yes. There's so much growth that happens in kids when they're even in school that changes their narrative and their mind. Yeah. And um, I think yeah, that you made a very good point about those developmental transitions, right? Yeah. Like I, I would see so much if, if gosh, I'm going from second and now I'm going into fourth grade, right? I mean, right. yeah, there's a little bit of difference there. But for those who are suddenly going into high school, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are physically going to look different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, that physical difference, right? Some of them may have moved on to other friendships. Some of them may be in a romantic relationship and that's where their interest may be. Some people may have decided, Hey, this sport is not for me anymore. So I, I do feel that in the transition period, for example, if I'm going into middle school, if I'm going into high school, there probably does need to be a little bit of a broader discussion about yeah. uh, these are some possibilities yeah. um, that can that can definitely be noticed by you when you go back and, and just not to be surprised or alarmed that these kinds of things are normal, even if we didn't have a pandemic, right? I mean, you, yes. you may not have been friends with this person because they found a new group. Like it, it would have happened anyway. Like those developmental differences happen. Yes, 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 yes. And anticipating that then no one's having a surprise. It may not happen too, but right. even if you don't have this dialogue with your kids, preparing yourself to know if they come back and they're like, I was friends with Jessica in seventh grade. And now she won't even speak to me. You don't know what her experience has been in the middle. If she had a bubble of a group of friends that she's connected with that were the only people she could speak to the whole time, whatever that looks like, right. just reminding your kids, we're all going to be a little different and that's not a bad thing, but it can be for certain age groups, very just, you know, just regulating, you know, given that they're already a little bit nervous and that can, that's another, you know, way to contribute to their not wanting to go to school if that happens. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. 
Now, one final topic I just want to bring up because I don't want to take too much of your time. And also people only want to listen to something for so long, but <laughs> why not? We could go on and on. <laughs> oh my gosh. We could have you and I, yes. Um, one other, one other thing that I've been undoing for the last 18, 19 months is parents boundaries around uh, screen time and <laughs> allowing so much screen time because our kids are using it for connection and recognizing we're all yes. and whatever. Yep. Um, I'm dealing with this a lot with the many children I have who've developed a, um, an increase in their weight over the time of the pandemic. It's yes. been super common for me and everybody, um, more sedentary time. Um, can you also recommend, um, I know there's not a perfect amount of screen time for every kid, but yeah. if you've been allowing a lot of screen time, what that dialogue might look like also in anticipation of like a fresh new year about around boundaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, during the pandemic, I mean, my analogy to all families was not a magic number. Like, let's stop with our behavioral plans of, you know, two hours or, or this or that. I understand that that has been a very important guideline from the American Academy of Pediatrics, from our the American Psychological Association. But I want to look at this in terms of a bigger picture of our whole child. Okay. So is your child getting some exercise? Is your child having sleep? Is your child going outdoors? Is your child having family time? So I said, look at these buckets. Like every day we have a bucket to fill, right? Mm -hmm. And if we have filled these buckets and then we can have screen time, right? Yeah. So it's more of importance of the whole child rather than minutes. So I want you to have a healthy child and health in general means all of these things, mental yeah. and physical health means all of these things, playing a game with your family, riding your bike, doing some reading, being creative, being helpful. So I want to fill these buckets. Let's label these buckets. And if you're filling them, then your screen time is okay. Because that means that your child is kind of getting everything else that he or she needs during this process. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually think that might be um, a piece of advice I keep after the pandemic, to be honest. Like I used to give that number in a merry like way that parents needed to know, you know, but I right. certainly have families whose kids are very successful at school, who are in a sport, who will spend more time than I had previously recommended. And, and instead of making them an outlier, I think looking at it as a whole picture, it just makes so much more sense. And frankly, although this is another podcast, remembering that, you know, that doesn't change how many boundaries you need to have around the safety around screen time, what they're oh doing. Oh my, yeah, that's yeah. surveillance. <laughs> Yes. Stuff, right. Yes. But, yes. But still, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And, and I definitely, you know, think that still all the same rules apply, right. In terms of safety and monitoring and, and all those things, right. That, that goes unsaid, but this is more just in terms of your overall health of your child and their activity level and their ability to kind of be helpful and connected with family and friends. So I, I think that's just a bigger picture that I've been trying to kind of send. Yeah. I think we've all gotten really comfortable with uncertainty. And so, you know, I, I'm happy about that. When I think about when you and I talked last year, when I did that Facebook post that went viral about just everyone not knowing the right thing to do. And now we're just kind of, people ask me all the time, how are you? Well, today I'm great. It's just really made me be quite present and also just very comfortable with uncertainty in a way that I'd not been before. This year is going to be uncertain. There yes. are going to be moments where we might be back where we started again. Carrie and I might have to come back on and talk again. At <laughs> yeah. The discomfort yeah. is just part of where we are right now. And it, I think it is an opportunity for us to teach our kids how to tolerate things that we can't control because it Absolutely. Was, always, was always like that. It's just that we thought we could control things before. It's always been that we can't always control things. 
Absolutely. Other things besides us. So yeah, um, I think the main message is honestly to know that this is going to be a shift. I know everyone's excited to return to school and get all these things, but don't think it's just going to be a piece of cake. Okay. As a psychologist and as someone who knows sort of like trauma research, right? This has been kind of a collective trauma mm -hmm. going back to it. It doesn't look the same. So even though we're excited to kind of go back to it, it doesn't look the same. So being vigilant and aware and open about those changes yeah. and those differences is just going to be important and, and not catch us off guard. They're expected. They're going to happen and you're going to get through it. Yeah. I'm going to end with that. That is exactly the best advice ever. Carrie, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, they can go to our website, uh, peakcitypsychology.com and they can get in touch with us that way. Okay, good. Um, thank you guys all so much. If you have other topics that you want to make sure we cover on our podcast, as we're moving into the next couple of months, I'm going to be trying to anticipate things that are coming your way. Uh, so we can, um, just provide a space for you to get some of my very favorite local experts on handling what's coming in the fall for our kids. So I wish you all a beautiful school year. Thank you, Dr. Dittner so much. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. That was so good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>